We've been talking and about support for families in addiction today. And we heard from Parik and al And um, this is a time of year, as I said earlier on, when people maybe reflect on their lives and think, you know, we're about to go into a new year and it's time to make changes. And for many people, those changes involve themselves insofar as they may want to deal with addiction. But for other people, it might be a case that they're saying, I'm struggling with somebody who is in addiction and I need to figure out how am I going to deal with it. And Anne is with me, who is a member of Al-Anon, as was Parik, and we're going to talk a little bit about her story and what, how she found Al-Anon and what it meant for her. And, um, and I want to find out a little bit more about what, how Al-Anon helps people. So Anne, first of all, thanks a million for agreeing to come along for a chat. You're very welcome, Austin. Um, as a result of the conversation I had with Porik, uh, he told me that you know basically people meet and it's a support group. And I didn't really, when I when I was listening to what he was saying, it I didn't really ask him how or in what way as a support group does a meeting happen and work because what was going through my head was an awful lot of us would have. Uh, if we're a member of a club, we'd go to an AGM and there's people up at the top table and there's an agenda. Or if you're traveling and you're involved in the church, you go into the church and there's a minister or a priest up at the top and it follows a format. Is that how Al-Anon and Al-Anon meeting happens or, or how would it differ? Well, there is a kind of a general format that uh, most Al-Anon meetings would follow to a certain extent, but each meeting is very individual. Um, You have to realize that Al-Anon is a bottom-up organization, so the individual member really is the most important person, and the newcomer, as they're often told when they come to a meeting, is the most important person in a room. And um, each individual group has its own flavor or style, Um, but we do stick to the Al-Anon principles, and we'd have broadly... um, We'd have the same uh, reading matter, kind of daily readers and same structures. We follow the same steps and so on. But each group can decide how they want to run the meeting themselves. And uh, and some some groups would be quite structured and others would be a little bit more who'd like to do the meeting today, what would you like what topic would you like to share on? Other ones would be very structured and, and have kind of topics for meetings planned out well in advance. But it's it's really up to the individual meeting. And some meetings can be quite large, you know, thirty, thirty five people, but a lot of them might only be, say, four, six, eight people who would meet regularly. Uh maybe with some people who come very regularly and others who drop in and out. So what I'm hearing then is that it is somewhat dynamic and that in that uh, way it is responding to what might be somebody's individual problem at that day or that time. Yeah, what we'd always say to newcomers is um, to go to try and go to six meetings in six weeks um, just to get the hang of it. And we'd always encourage people to try different meetings in different areas. And some people like to do that because they're worried about their anonymity. They say, oh, I don't want to go to a meeting here. It's a small country town. Everybody knows me. We say, that's fine. Go to the meeting in the next county or a couple of towns away and check that out and see how you like it. In a big city, you might have dozens of meetings going on at different times of the day that might suit you better during the day or evening time or weekends or what have you. So we'd always encourage people to go to different meetings because they sort of have a different flavor, different people 
at them and there might be a meeting where you feel particularly at home and that would then become your home group although there's no problem attending meetings anywhere in the world I've gone to meetings in London Switzerland you know different places so that's also nice in Canada in fact as well yeah and uh, so it's nice to see how people do things differently in different places you get different ideas to bring back to your own meeting so is there would you say in most cases some incident that causes somebody to say uh I need to take action or I've had enough or that mm. there's a straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, it was just that was the exact term in my mind that there's usually some could be a relatively small incident where you just feel I cannot do this any longer. And uh, for me, there was the sense that I spent my whole time obsessing over things that had happened in the past, going over and over stuff you know, some terrible things, some very stressful things that had happened, and then constantly projecting, worrying, projecting into the future and worrying about, oh, it's going to get worse, or, it's, or hoping and hoping against hope it's going to get better. But there was absolutely nothing go on, going on about my present. I wasn't present in my own life. It was either oscillating between going over what happened before or worrying about what was coming down the line. And I didn't feel like I was present in my own life. I wasn't living my own life on a day-to-day basis. So what's that got to do with an addict? Uh, well, because I probably wouldn't have been in that frame of mind if I hadn't been obsessing about the addict's behavior and the alcoholic's behavior and the repercussions and the fallout of the alcoholic's behavior. And often it's when you're in the middle of it, it's like being in the middle of a car crash. When you're in the middle of a car crash, you don't say, oh, this thing is flying through the air and puncturing that thing. And, and, and you know, you don't, you don't break it down into the individual things. So I might, for example, be saying, Oh my God, I can't make ends meet. We can't go on holidays because we haven't got enough money. Um, you know, he or she, the alcoholic in my life is in trouble at work. I'm so stressed. I'm screaming at the children all the time. And I can't eat and I'm not sleeping right. And we don't associate though all those things as being related to the stress and the strain and the unbearable ongoing tension of living in the orbit of someone else's addiction problems because their addiction or alcoholism problems have repercussions. It's like being in the, they're the, they're the epicenter of the earthquake and you're the one a bit further out from the earthquake with the building falling down on your head and the ground opening up under your feet. And the problem with people who, who are not the problem with people who come to Al-Anon, but the problem that leads uh, people to come to Al-Anon is that you're so busy firefighting and just surviving from one crisis to the next one. And then when there isn't a crisis, because you can have lovely times, you know, your partner who, who's the addict or alcoholic can be a wonderful person who is great to be around in between, you know, problematic uh, blowouts or, 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 or drinking periods. And then you're just so happy that everything's going okay. You're really focusing on, you know, the fact that everything's wonderful and you're pinning all your hopes into the future. Um, and you don't get a chance to sit back and notice and say, actually, all these things are connected. And all these things come back to the fact that I am losing my mind trying to cope with the fallout from living around an alcoholic because the maelstrom of distress and trauma and accidents and financial issues and rows and all the things that go on there, all the stresses and strains and embarrassments in front of other people, all of that just takes up all the oxygen in the room and you don't get a lot of time to think, well, actually, there's one root cause here and that root cause is driving me crazy. And I'm turning into a lunatic. And often the person who's coming into Al-Anon, their bitterest complaint is often, or my bitterest complaint was, I'm the one who looks like the lunatic here. I look like I'm the problem. I'm being a vitriolic bitch. I'm angry all the time. I'm totally stressed. I'm trying to control everyone all around me. 
oh my God, if she just calmed down and relaxed, everything would be fine. And nobody really notices this underground, ongoing thread of alcoholism that is shaking the ground under your feet all the time. And that's why you're so controlling. You're trying to hold it all together. And nobody can do that. It's not possible. It's like an individual person trying to hold everything together in the middle of an earthquake. It's not, it's not possible. And I think when people reach a stage where they realize, I physically can't go on anymore. I'm going to have a heart attack and I'm going to die. And then my children will be left with only the alcoholic to take care of them or whatever. Or they realize I'm going to lose my job. I'm, I'm going part of the scenes. They just think I've got to do something for me. And that's the starting point. Um, we often say that in AA, you know, that addiction is a completely self-centered thing. It, it, it's like addiction is self-centered is personified. The addict is all about me, 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 my next fix, the, the, the alcoholic, me, 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 my next drink, what, what's good for me, my comfort. And in Al-Anon, we have the opposite problem. Our problem is that we, the alcoholic or the addict is focused on the drug or the drink, and we are obsessed and focused on the alcoholic or the addict. They're our drug. And our obsession is all about them to the detriment of ourselves. And um, the, what Al-Anon does is helps you to get the focus back on yourself, which, well, particularly for an Irish person, particularly as a woman, is, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. That's very selfish. That's wrong. That's bold. That's bad. It's not. It's healthy. It's particularly healthy if you are living around uh, addiction or alcoholism because you completely lose any sense of yourself or your self-worth and you stop looking after yourself. And then you're less able to cope. So Al-Anon has helped me put the focus back on myself. And when the focus is on myself and I'm taking care of me, I'm happier, I'm calmer. The addict or the alcoholic is happier or calmer because I'm not shouting and roaring at them all the time. My children are happier because I'm not cranky mammy. And things get a lot easier to handle when you have support. So, and when you talk in those terms, and I put the same question to Park earlier on, you know, it, that's very identifiable, you could say, in a spousal-type relationship. But when you're dealing with, be it a parent or a child or mm, yeah. a sibling, Mm-hmm. or a, a work colleague. Yeah, well, I actually came into Al-Anon originally because I had a very close friend who was a drinker and I was living in a house full of drinkers. I was surrounded by it. And uh, that's, you know, I didn't have a partner who was, who was drinking at the time, but I got into Al-Anon originally because I just found it so difficult to be very close. I was in my early 20s, uh, mid-20s, um, very close to this person who had a serious... Um, drink problem and uh, I found that very difficult to handle and someone said well try Al-Anon and I went along and I actually was far more resistant to going to Al-Anon when I then subsequently had a partner who drank because it was much closer to the bone um, but yes absolutely and another thing people worry about anonymity and I always say that in my home group um, I have people who come in who I've been in that group for I don't know 26 years and they come in and they share about my alcoholic they this they that I don't know if it's a man or a woman I don't know if it's their spouse or their child or their parent. I don't know if that person is alive or dead. I don't know if they're still drinking or not. I don't know if they're still living with that person. It's the alcoholic bay, and then I feel like this. And it's none of my business. Um, now, a lot of people obviously will identify the alcoholic in their lives and talk about them, you know, my husband, my child, whatever. But I, I find that incredibly freeing because that's really not anybody's business. The business is the effect it's having on you. And Al-Anon is one of the few places I went into where everyone in that room was concerned about me and how I was getting on. Not, how is he doing? How is she doing? Has she taken a drink? Are, you do- is, are they doing okay? No, that was, you know, fine if they're doing fine, fine if you want to talk about that, but that's not why you're there in that room. You're there in that room to take care of yourself. And it was just wonderful to someone listen to what was going on for you for a change. Because I always, I often say that 
people say, what brought you into Al-Anon? Or how did you feel when you went into Al-Anon? I felt, you know, when you pull off a rubber glove and it's inside out, and it's just hanging there empty inside out. That's what I felt like. I felt like I was an inside out rubber glove. If you had asked me, so what do you like to do? You know, what, what are you into? I'd have looked at you blankly. And I, I couldn't remember what I enjoyed in life because my life was so utterly focused on this maelstrom of, of, um, of alcoholism and, and, and the detrimental effect, detrimental effect that was having on. I couldn't think of anything just nice that I enjoyed doing because I never gave myself any time to do anything that was nice because I was so utterly obsessed with, with the, the damage being caused by alcoholism in my life. You said something there I just found fascinating. <laughs> and given that you do that, well, you said because of the damage, and the damage is, let's say it's downstream, Mm. But the damage that is downstream, actually, the one that was um, the addict could hypothetically be dead. Absolutely. And, and some people, I, I know a lot of people in Al-Anon who are coming to Al-Anon and the alcoholic in their life might be uh, a mother or a father who died 30 years ago. Or it could be a child who has since got into recovery and is doing great in their life. But the effect of of living with an alcoholic um, uh just reverberates, reverberates, even generationally. I mean, I don't have, thank God, neither of my parents is alcoholic, and I didn't have alcoholism in my immediate family, but um, a generation before, there was a lot of alcoholism in my grandparents' generation. And that I can see in retrospect, knowing what I do know now from going to Al-Nan, I can really see the effect that that has had on my parents and how somehow they filtered that down um, to my own my own um, brothers and sisters and myself, even though we never had any actual direct exposure to any alcoholism. So it's amazing how it's multi-generational. And I often say as well, because I remember when I went, people are probably horrified to hear that I'm going to Al-Anon for about 26 years. They say, oh my God, that mustn't work at all if she's still in there a quarter of a century later. And obviously there's no point. But um, I kind of used, I used to feel like that. And when I joined Al-Anon first, and I'm going along religiously, and I was very dedicated to the whole thing. I was reading all around myself. And then I had this rising sense of panic and dread because I thought, God, I'm in here six months now and I'm not fixed yet or I'm in here a year and I'm not cured yet. Or, oh, my God, I'm no closer to whatever. Um, and then I, I, somebody said to me, well, how long were you, were you living with the alcoholic in your life? And I said, well, 17 years. And they said, well, do you think after 17 years you're going to just fix it in 17 days or 17 weeks. Like, you know, these things take time. Um, and after a while, the image that I got in my mind that really helped me, I thought of, I began to think of Al-Nan as, as a really good diet. So if you find food that's delicious, um, that makes you feel good, that's healthy, that sustains you and nourishes you, you don't say, oh, great, I'm going to eat, I'm going to fill a table with that food and eat the whole table full of food and that'll do me then for the rest of my life. You don't. You have regular meals <laughs> to keep you healthy and keep you nourished and because it tastes good. And Al-Anon is exactly like that for me. My, my meetings in Al-Anon are my regular meals that, that keep my head and my shoulders, keep my feet on the ground and keep me feeling good and give me a laugh. I have had more laughs in Al-Anon and many of the time we've been to several Al-Anon meetings in a row where the word alcohol or alcoholic hasn't even been mentioned because we're talking about ourselves and our lives and how we're getting on and what we're doing and we've had a laugh and we've had we've had situations where people have come in and shared really really harrowing and traumatic incidents that have happened and we've all ended up roaring laughing <laughs> together about it because it's all just so so completely mad but you can afford to laugh when you're surrounded by people who are supporting you and when you feel supported and it's great to have a laugh because it lets go of that terrible terrible building tension that's often there when you feel out of control 
So when you bring that back into your life living circumstances, again, be irrelevant of where they are, whether it be spousal, sibling, work, mm-hmm. parental, um, is there a ripple effect, do you think, in that uh, as a result of your ability to recalibrate that potentially some of the people around about you subconsciously are recalibrating without knowing it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great word, recalibrate. That hits it completely. I I feel that without ever going next or near an Al-Anon meeting, um, practically everyone in my life has been... Um, that's close to me has has had a benefit from me going to online meetings. First of all, I'm a lot easier to live with. Um, secondly, I don't sweat the small stuff anymore and get wound up about things. Um, but also the way that I have chosen and begun to change reacting to things or not reacting to things, uh, it's kind of contagious. You know that people see you some something happening and they start going off like a rocket and you're going, oh well, sure, look, you know, we'll leave them to it and I'm going to get on with this other thing and sure it might work out and we'll be grand. And they kind of go, oh, 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 right, okay. Because, you know, we feed off each other and if I go off into a frenzy of rage or grief, and I mean, I lived in a state of homicidal rage for years and I honestly could feel it in my body like there was battery acid in my blood. It was it was definitely not good for me physically um, or for my health or anything like that. And to be able to put down that rage and just say, I'm going to live my life for myself and I'm going to enjoy something every day. Um, somebody once asked me, <laughs> you, you, kind of, you kind of forget because there's such honesty in Al-Anon. You can go into Al-Anon and somebody says, how are you? They, they do not, it's not the usual Irish, how are you? Where you go, fine, fine is the only answer you can give. How are you? They're actually genuinely interested in knowing how you are and sometimes I forget that the rest of the world uh, isn't uh, like Al-Anon, you know, and somebody I knew well enough, but not well enough to have given them the answer I gave them, said, how are you doing? And I stopped and I thought for a second and I said, well, I said, it's like I'm, I'm in a little boat on a huge, vast ocean of shite. And they looked really shocked. And I said, but it's all right because I'm floating on top of it in my little boat, me and, and you know, my kids. And so I'm, so I'm grand, actually. Thanks for asking. And, looked, and then I looked at them, and I looked at the, the, the bug-eyed look I was getting back. They were absolutely startled. And they said, well, I didn't expect that, but okay. you know. And they kind of knew a little bit what was going on in the background. So they said, well, I'm glad to hear it, I think. And I said, yeah, you should be, because it's fine. Because, you know, life is often difficult. There's nothing you can do about it. But Alanon has given me the tools to be in that little boat floating at the top of the ocean of absolute poo that you don't want to have to deal with instead of floundering in it and drowning in it, you know, which is where, where I would have been beforehand. Um, so I probably lost completely the thread of myself. I can't even remember what you asked me just there. No, and that, that actually leads into what I wanted to ask you, which was given that where we are in the world at the moment, which is in a sea of uh, yeah. a, a cesspool and in every yeah. respect, and that it is uh, making such... Uh, putting such strain on a lot of people's mental health uh, mm-hmm. and that they are in confined living conditions so it's like a pressure yes, cooker. Yeah, 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 um, pressure cooker. Has, um, has your life in Al-Anon allowed you to cope with the current situation and to retain yeah. some degree of sanity? Absolutely, hugely. And, and, and um, you know... It's funny because people who would be seen as having problems or uh, not dealing with the world as as well as other people are 
often the people who are dealing better with the COVID situation because they are used to dealing with adversity already and they have a, they have a program for that. I have a program for that. I have the Al-Anon program and it tells me what to do and it helps me to recognize when I'm getting more tense, more short-tempered, more, you know, I can recognize the physical, the mental and the, and the behavioral signs that tell me, okay, you're beginning to lose the plot here. You're beginning to um, have a slip. So an alcoholic might say you're having a slip, we'd say as well. In Alan, I'm having a slip. I'm losing my serenity. I'm losing my equilibrium. And so I know then to stop, sit down, read something, open the book, any old Alan on book, open it on any page, whatever you read is going to be helpful. <laughs> and, um, and engage and use those tools for dealing with the COVID situation insofar as I would, you know, in the same way as I might do it for an alcoholic situation. And I, I noticed that first because about um, eight years ago I was diagnosed with cancer and, um, when I, I was in hospital and uh, I had an adverse reaction to one of the drugs and I was talking to a, a what do they call them, a psych oncologist. <laughs> um, and they were saying, so Anne, you know, how are you feeling? And I said, how do you mean about what? And you could see them thinking, oh my God, she has no idea that she even has cancer or something, you know. And I said, well, I'm doing this, that and the other. And I was so calm about it and not showing huge signs of distress that they thought there's something really, really psychologically wrong with her. And so they were probing and asking questions, and I saw that this is what they were thinking. And I said, no, no, it's okay, you don't understand. I have a program. I'm in Alnon. So, you know, this is just another major thing to hit me up the face. I've dealt with them before. I will deal with them again. I kind of know what to do. You know, I, I'm just taking practical steps to take care of myself. There's no, you know, I mean, I, I will go away and have a great cry and I'm sure I'll go down and throw rocks into the sea and get very upset at some stage. But, you know, then I will get on and, and look after myself because I know how to do that now. And they were totally startled because, um, I thought it was very funny that they thought I was actually mentally ill because I was coping well. Um, so, I mean, people who are dealing with all the fallout of COVID, and especially that the major problem with COVID is that it's just relentless, relentless, ongoing. You get a little bit of hope, you get all buoyed up, and then it's crashed down again, back into lockdown, figures rising, all that kind of stuff. That's what living with an alcoholic is like. It's like everything is all fine for a while. You're tiptoeing around on eggshells. You just start to relax and think, oh, maybe everything's going to be okay. And then, bam, comes the next blowout or the next problem or the next big row or the next issue. And so that cycle is familiar to me. And there's a brilliant, brilliant um, piece of literature in Al-Anon called The Merry-Go-Round of Denial. And it describes that exact roundabout where, where, where everybody's playing their part in this terrible dance. Uh, uh, you know, you're the victim, you're the oppressor, you're the whatever your role is in it. And you're all taking turns at this horrible merry-go-round. And I, and I often, we often, you often hear people in Alan talk about, I'm in this washing machine, this horrible washing machine going round and round and I can't get out. Um, so the uh, Alan program helps you press the stop button, <laughs> drain out the washing machine and step out of there and say, okay, you know, how am I going to deal with this? So really small practical things have been tremendously useful for me. There's a thing called plan A, plan B, which is just a lifesaver because you can't rely on anything with an alcoholic uh, or an addict. You know, they say they're going to be there. You have tickets to go to see something. You're really looking forward to it. The next thing, they don't come back from work. They've gone drinking after work, whatever. And you're there sitting looking at your two tickets, bitterly disappointed and all the rest of it. So these kind of things happen a lot. And it's very similar with, with COVID. You've got your holiday planned and bang, you're not allowed to travel anymore. You know, so it's really similar dynamic. And um, so plan B would be if you know that you're living with an alcoholic and they may or may not turn up on the night, you hope they'll turn up, but you have your plan B. So I ring an alone friend and I say, I'm really looking forward to going to this concert. Do you like their music? Oh, yeah, so do I. Okay. Now, if by any chance, there's a big row or a big 
drinking situation going on or something and, and they don't turn up, would you like to go? And they say, fine, I'll keep that evening free. I'll just stay in and watch telly. And if you ring me up with 10 minutes to go and say, okay, they haven't turned up, let's go. I'll jump in the car and come over and we'll go see the, the movie or the, the concert together. And then you go off and you see your movie or your concert. You come back and there's some woebegone alcoholic <laughs> sitting in the corner with her eyes going, oh, she's going to blow now. And you come in and go, oh, how are you doing? And they go, where were you? And they say, at the concert. And they're, oh. <laughs> and you go, oh, it's great. Uh, would you like a hot chocolate? And you make yourselves the hot chocolate and you go off to bed and they're kind of stunned that your life was able to continue perfectly happy uh, without their input. And it's a lot better than them coming home and you like throwing the dinner in their face or whatever and be sitting there embittered and twisted because you couldn't get to go to your concert. Plan B. Plan B is accept that you're living with someone who's not reliable and make alternative arrangements so that you can continue to enjoy your life and it not be hinged on someone else's behavior because that person isn't in control of their behavior. And, you know, there's no point expecting somebody, you know, with one leg to tap dance with you, you know. So that that one was just a really practical tool that really changed my look at things. I became a much less bitter person and much less... Um, sorry for myself. And I realized that you know, it is possible to... To have, to have a good life and um, and enjoy yourself and take care of yourself in very difficult circumstances. So that's kind of what I'm doing here with COVID as well. You just focus, and as well, at the day at a time, you know, like in AA, 24 hours at a time. And in Al-Anon, there's a couple of readings that say sometimes it's an hour at a time, sometimes it's five minutes at a time. You just do whatever you can to get yourself through. Like with COVID, I've been here saying I'm living from one meal to the next. And from one nap to the next or one sleep to the next or one swim to the next, I've started winter swimming through the winter and I'm just getting from, okay, I'm getting my breakfast. Then I'm saying I'm looking forward to the swim. Then I have the swim. I look forward to my nap. When I've had my nap, I look forward to my dinner. <laughs> then I look forward to going to bed at night. And that's another day to help with. So, and then I can have really quite startlingly good days doing it like that, just in teaspoons, rather than trying to, you know, do life with a bucket load. And it's been fantastic and fabulous and powerful talking with you and I really do appreciate you taking the time and sharing so honestly and uh, if anybody is struggling out there um, if they go into Google and just search for Al-Anon they will bring up yeah. uh, the, the local website in whatever country they happen to be in and just yeah, in Ireland it. it's um, in Ireland it's www.alanon.ie and they have two different phone lines that are open uh, weekdays and weekends and there's a lot of meetings happening on Zoom at the moment and some meetings are happening face to face but there's 55,000 meetings a year in Ireland so there must be plenty more in in Canada and um, that's a lot of meetings and um, there's Indeed. no money there's no money paid and we might just put a few bob in the hat to you know pay for the, the tea and coffee and the 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 rental of the rumours, whatever, but, you know, it's it's very easy for me go, as you go. I would not have joined Al-Anon if I felt like it was some sort of cult that once you were in, you couldn't get out or anything like that. It's very much, you come if you're getting something from it, don't bother, or, you know, you're always welcome back any time, obviously, but if you feel that it's not for you, there's absolutely no obligation. And that kind of freedom really entices me to stay because I get a lot out of it, and I'd encourage anyone else to try as well. Thanks a million, Anne. No problem. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you, Austin.